Thanks, Nate. Well, good morning. Good to see you all. Uh, I want to start with a little word association game. You know how this works. I say a word and you say what comes to mind when you hear that word. There aren't uh, right answers. It's really just a curiosity to see what kind of things pop into your head. So like, for example, if I say cat, you say Right. Okay, there is a right answer with that one, I guess. Everybody said dog. Uh, let's say, if I said bird, you would say cat. A little morbid. Uh, song. Nest. Okay, yeah, okay, a little more variety there. So uh, I'm going to say a word again. You tell me what comes to mind when you hear that word. Again, not right answers, just curiosity of what you would say. The word is conflict. Fight, ow. Yucky, solution, avoidance, my people over there, <laughs> avoidance. Yeah, so conflict, We're, we want to talk about conflict this morning. I want to read to you first from 1 Corinthians, these words, and you may not think about these words as applying to conflict, but they do. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. These are words that we often hear at wedding ceremonies. It's kind of the love chapter in the Bible. And uh, it really speaks to this idea of challenge in our relationships, when our connections with others become difficult. Because these words don't just refer to spouses, husbands and wives. We often think of it as only the marriage passage. But it actually, Paul wrote it down for relationships, for connections with other people, friendships, family members, uh, and yes, in marriage as well, but in all kinds of relationships. And, and he writes down what love is because love is difficult for us to live out sometimes. So he says, love keeps no record of wrongs because we tend to keep a record. We tend to hold on to a list of the ways we've been hurt. In fact, you can do it digitally these days. You can go back on Facebook or Instagram and go back in someone's history and find more things to create a record with. Uh, he says, love is patient. It's because it's hard to be patient. It's hard to wait on things. He says, love is not rude. Because we tend to be rude. We tend to not treat others in loving ways. When we face conflict, love calls us to a healthy and holy response to the conflict in our lives. We do it wrong so often, and, and Scripture says, hey, here's what it looks like to have healthy conflict. Because for us, conflict is something we avoid. It's a fight. It doesn't often have a positive association for us. But conflict is actually a good thing in our lives. It can draw us into deeper relationship. It can cause us to have a deeper connection with people in our lives that we care about. We don't always feel that in the moment. A lot of times when we get into conflict, it doesn't feel good. But at the end of the day, if we do it well, if we're vulnerable, if we expose our true selves, we can actually grow in our relationship with others as we have uh, challenging conversations as we get into conflict. I think about my best friend in high school, a guy named Jason, and uh, we used to get into uh, fights often. We went to school together. We went to church together. There was even a summer when we worked together on the job, and we used to fight about, you know, silly things, dumb things, but we would get into it. We once got into a fight about the right classification of birds in the animal kingdom, right? Like, he thought they were mammals, 
And I said, no, they're their own category under the animal kingdom. And we got into a big old fight over this one issue. And, you know, just in case Jason's watching online, I brought a chart this morning I thought would be helpful. <laughs> I actually had it outside this morning as well. So <laughs> just to be clear, I want to make sure the camera's right. Okay, birds are here, mammals are here. They're separate classifications of the animal kingdom. And I uh, just wanted to make sure we're clear about that. You guys can say you learned something today at church. So we would fight about things like where the birds fit in, silly things like that. We'd fight about the best way to pull weeds out of a driveway. You know, this is the kind of stuff we'd fight about. But we also fought about deeper things. Uh, we, thought, we fought about, like, how does God show up in our lives? Should we get married? Uh, what, what, what makes a good father? We would fight about those kinds of things as well. Almost every time we fought, we'd get to this level where one of us would take off. And there were several times that summer we worked together where Jason just would leave the job site. He would, like, get in his car and drive away. And that would, that would be it for his day at work, you know. And uh, this is the kind of ways we would respond when we got into conflict. We would get sick of each other and just take off. But inevitably, one of us would reach out later that night, the next day, and say, hey, man, I'm sorry about this morning. I'm sorry about yesterday. I was just in a bad place. I was dumb. I, you know, I'm sorry. Please, you know, but we'd apologize and we'd work it through. And then we'd show up the next day and, and start life again together. And, and Jason is the only friend I have from high school that I still kind of interact with. When he's in town, when I'm in his town, we, we try to show up and see each other. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we had these kinds of fights, that we work through things, that we talk through things that were, were important to us and passionate in our, our lives. We didn't have a surface kind of relationship. It actually became something deep. And that connection goes on today. That's what conflict can do. It can deepen our connection with others. Healthy conflict can make our relationships more meaningful in our lives. I'm so glad that scripture doesn't hide this kind of stuff from us, that it doesn't whitewash the stories of, of different people in, 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 uh, in, this, in the scriptures. These men and women who uh, were God used to transform their families and neighborhoods and communities and eventually the whole world, they had disagreements. They had conflict. They had to work through uh, challenging conversations and we spent the summer looking at some of the stories of the Bible. Uh, we, this is our last Sunday in this, uh, this series, Telling Our Story. And we've looked at the stories of, of Abraham and Hannah and, and David and Thomas and Timothy and Priscilla. And uh, we've, we've got one final story to look at this morning, and that's the story of Paul and Barnabas and a conflict that rose up between the two of them. So I want to invite you to take your Bible and open up to Acts 15 or use your Bible app if you've got that with you. Uh, Acts 15, we're going to look at verse 36, and we're going to look at the story this morning between these two as they got into it, uh, as they got into conflict together. Now, about three years before this passage, Paul and Barnabas had returned from their first missionary journey. They had been sent out by the church in Antioch, and they had traveled through the ancient world, uh, going to town to town, meeting people, sharing the truth about Jesus, helping people understand uh, that Jesus gave his life for them. And uh, God did amazing things through them as they traveled around in those, those two years. And they came back to Antioch, and they shared the good news of what God had done, and there was a celebration. And now it's a, a few years later, and they're talking about, hey, should we go out again? Should we take a second journey and go back to these churches? And so that's where we pick it up in verse 36. It says, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Hey, let's go back out and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord, and let's see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. 
But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. In verse 39, here's the crux. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. So Paul and Barnabas, they talk about going out again together. They had, they had, God had worked in a powerful way through them. And that first journey, they had started about four churches in these different communities, these small gatherings of Jesus followers, and, and uh, God had used them in a powerful way. They were really a great team. And in that first journey, Mark had come along with them, but only for a little while. And, and Mark was Barnabas's nephew, called John Mark or Mark. He's the same guy that wrote the Gospel of Mark that we have in the New Testament. And he had been with them for just a little while, but down the road as he traveled with them, he, he left them, kind of abandoned them uh, to the rest of the journey. And so it wasn't a great taste in Paul's mouth when he thought about John Mark. In fact, you can look in Acts 13 to see where he deserted them. It says, from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed, companions sailed to Pergia in Pamphylia. There's a lot of pea cities back in the ancient world for some reason. So in Pamphylia, that's where John left them to return to Jerusalem. So we don't know exactly why John left, but his weak commitment was enough for Paul to say, I don't, I don't think I want to have him come along again. I mean, we're going out hundreds of miles from home. We're going to be in dangerous situations. I need to know that the person that's coming with us is going to stand strong and be with us. Barnabas suggests that, and they get into this disagreement. And the passage says they have a sharp disagreement. They ended up parting ways and we don't know exactly how this conversation played out. We don't know if they got angry, if they were yelling. We don't know if they you know, were, were kind and gentle in it. We don't know, but it was intense enough that it separated the plan and it caused them to go out in two separate teams. They had their very own little relational pandemic and shutdown and, and things weren't going well for them. These two men had survived so much in that first journey. They had survived threats against their life, uh, the praise of unholy men trying to make them gods. They had to push back from that. They had spent nights on the road, sleeping alongside the road, um, just isolation, fear of, of their lives, and they had survived all of that. But this disagreement about a partner was enough to separate them. Of course, for me, I want to know who was wrong and who was right, you know, when we hear conflict. Who's the right guy? Who's the wrong guy? Uh, they both had good reasons. Paul was using history. He's like, hey, last time he took off. I'm not willing to try that again. Uh, I don't see him as being faithful enough to stick around. Barnabas, he's saying, hey, this is family, and he wants to try again. Let's give him a second shot. I mean, God's been working in his life. Uh, he wants to join us on this mission. I want to encourage his faith. Let's give him another try. Both had the opportunity to compromise or even give up their position for the good of their relationship, but they didn't. They turned from each other and just headed out in different directions. So my question for you this morning is, have you ever had this happen in your life? Have you ever had a relationship that is important to you, a friendship, someone in your family, that a neighbor, I don't know, but you had this separation, you had this time where conflict became the norm and it just no longer was working and you're like, I think we need to step away. Has that happened in your world? I want you just to think about that for a moment. My guess is there's maybe a name coming to mind. Or, or a face, someone that you're thinking about. It could be years and years ago. Maybe it was last week. I don't know. But what I'd like you to do is grab a pen or grab your phone. I just want you to write down that name and the name of that person and on your phone. You can use a note or open up a calendar event. Just put the name down. I want, you to, I want to make this real for you. I want you to think about this. And if you can write it down or put it on your phone just for a moment 
it makes it a little bit more real about that person. Just think about them. Write down their name. Of course, if it's the person sitting next to you, I mean, maybe he's a code name, okay? Or <laughs> Pastor Nate or you know, Michael Scott or something like that. You know, just put down a code name. Uh, but, but it's important sometimes to make this real for our lives. So if you would write that down. I worked with a guy in Minnesota for about, about 15 years ago, and we, uh, we served together, we, we lived life together, we had meals together, and we, we got into this conversation about a job description, and it, w- it became a disagreement. And we sat down a few times trying to talk it out, but it eventually got to a place where uh, he turned to me and he said, you know what, Nate, it was a mistake to make you the pastor of this church. They messed up when they called you as the pastor here. And, and he left the church, that was it. Things ended poorly we separated. So I'm thinking of his name right now. I don't know what name you've got down, but we need to make this real today. Our disagreement wasn't over a core belief or our understanding of who God is. It was just personal opinion, just like what was happening with Paul and Barnabas. They had a different opinion of Mark and what was going to be helpful for them. So think about that person that you wrote down that you're thinking of. What was it that brought that separation? What was it that caused that disagreement, that divide? The Bible paints pictures for us in vivid color, sometimes painfully bright. Uh, A few weeks ago, we talked about the conflicts between uh, Jacob and his brother Esau. In this passage we're reading this morning, just at the beginning of Acts 15, there's a conflict between Paul and Barnabas and other believers in the faith. They had a disagreement. In fact, in Acts 15 too, it says, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. That same word there, sharp dispute, sharp disagreement, this idea sharp, this idea of like cutting through, that it can separate and divide. That's, that's the same kind of argument here. In Philippians 4, we can read about a disagreement between two women, Udio and Syntyche. And, and Paul says to the church in Philippi, I want to encourage you to bring these women together and help them find unity together again in God. Conflict is all throughout Scripture. So what does the Bible tell us about conflict? How can we do it well? How can we have healthy conflict? Well, the first question that comes to my mind when I think about fighting with others is, what is it that causes the fight? What causes the disagreement? What is it that causes conflict? And this is where God's word speaks into us. Uh, James chapter 4. James is the brother of Jesus. He wrote the book of James. And in James chapter 4, verse 1, he says these words. What causes fights and quarrels among you? very question we have. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Why do, you, why do we fight? James says we fight because we want something and we can't get it. It's a pretty good summary, I think, of conflict, of why we get into disagreements and fights. We want something, and we can't seem to get it. Now, when I fight, I have more holy and righteous motives than that. (laughs) But when you fight, it's all about what you want that you can't seem to get. Yeah, of course, I'm joking. This is true for all of us, and, and, but don't we take that posture when we get into disagreements and fights? Mine's the right, mine's the holy, mine's the right way to approach this issue. And we can't get what we want, and so we have conflict and strife. I seldom take the time in a disagreement or in a conflict to pause and get to this question that, that James writes here. What is it that I want? What is it I really am going after? 
in this challenge, in this relationship, what is it I really want? And that's a little bit of a harder question to answer because usually the, the thing right in front of us, the thing that's causing the conflict, it's usually not the actual issue. There's usually a deeper thing going on, a deeper reality, a deeper emotion that God wants to bring out of us. What is it that I want? Again, the hint is it's probably not the first thought you have. So you might be fighting over change, something that's going to change, and you think, well, I, I just want what the best move is here for our business or our organization or our family. I just want the best. And the change, that doesn't, I think we got the best. I don't think the change is going to help us with the best. But in actuality, what I really want is I really just don't want to have fear in my life. I'm kind of afraid about the change. I don't know what that might do. I don't know what I'll lose with that change. I don't know if it's going to go well because it's different from what we've been doing. And what I really want is to avoid the fear of the change. Or I might disagree about a budget and think, I'm gonna, we need to have a saving over here. If we have a little savings, that's going to help us for the rainy days that are coming in the future. And that might be what you want. But if you take some time and think deeper, perhaps actually what you're thinking of is I. I feel safe when I've got this chunk of money over here. And I really want to feel safe. And, and when I don't have some savings, I feel like I don't have control. I don't feel like I'm safe. Maybe that's the deeper thing that you really want. Or you might think about, I think about conflict I have with my daughter. And I'm like, I just want her to do it the right way. I want her to do it the way that I, I see as the best way for her. In reality, I just, I really don't want to be sad about her growing up so fast and her being able to make her own decisions, and as she has freedom and independence to make choices that are different than mine, that's hard because she used to come to me and ask for my opinion about stuff, and it's sad to me that she's not doing that any longer. You know, that's the deeper thing going on. What is the deeper thing that you're after that you want? When you get into conflict, try to mine for that deeper thing, and, and, and a lot of times you need other people to help you do this. You need someone else on the outside who can help you see what's going on. Or sometimes God will reveal that to you if you ask him to. What is it that you're really after? What is it that you really want? Now, I want you to think of that name again, that person. And, and what is it that caused the separation? And then what is it that you really want in that relationship? What is it you really are going after in that friendship, in that marriage, in that family, in that organization? What is it you really want James says, start with that question. What is it you want? And then he says, go to God and ask God, invite God to, to meet that need instead of expecting the person to. Go to God and ask God to meet that need, that deeper thing that's going on beneath the surface. He says, when you do that, that God will respond. God will bring what is needed. God will respond to your, your request. You don't have because you haven't asked. So we need to ask. And then James also, he challenges our motives here. He says, but when you do ask, you don't do it with the right motives. So he says, you got to check your motives too. What is it you're really hoping to, to get out of the resolution of that conflict? And after all this work, after taking a deeper dive, after taking time to talk and, and interact with the person, I mean, it, it could come to the place where you still move away. Just like Paul and Barnabas, they separated, they parted ways. Conflict is a fact of this Life in this fallen world, sometimes conflict causes separation. And um, even in Christian relationships, there's sometimes where that doesn't get resolved. That's what Paul and Barnabas are experiencing here. But thankfully, there's more to the story for them. There's, there's a, and yet, there's like a, another chapter 
Because later on in Scripture, we see that God was still at work in their relationship. Now, you can look at the story itself and say, well, there is already good happening. I mean, two teams headed out from Antioch. Instead of one team going to do work, two teams headed out to build the kingdom of God. So even though there was a separation, there is still good work that could be done. Uh, And that that is good to look at. Uh, But there's also good evidence in the New Testament that God brought healing to this relationship between Barnabas and Paul. Later on, Paul would write to the church in Corinth, and in his first letter, I think it was around chapter 9, he would talk about Barnabas. And he would talk about Barnabas. This is years later. He would say he's a good worker in the kingdom of God, that he is a man of integrity, that he's worthy of the honor of those who are serving the kingdom of God. Paul talked about Barnabas Barnabas as like a, a friend alongside him in that letter to the church in Corinth. There had been healing, there had been restoration in their relationship. And even Paul and Mark were able to find resolution later on. Mark, the one that deserted him. And in Paul's last letter, the last letter he wrote that we have in the Bible, 2 Timothy, he talks to Mark and um, he says, Luke, hey, Luke, when you come, bring Mark with you. I want you to bring Mark along. And he says specifically the words were, he says, Mark is helpful to me in my ministry. No longer is Mark uncommitted or um, you know, not helpful. He says, he is helpful to me, so bring him along. He's an encouragement to me, Paul says. And so he saw that Mark matured and grew and became worthy of friendship, worthy of his connection to him, a friend that he can trust. And this is why we got to make sure that when we get into conflict with others, when we get into tension, that we don't say things or do things that might cause it difficult to have a resolution, a good resolution down the road. We have to be careful that we don't treat them disrespectfully or in ways that, that shows that we don't honor them. We have to avoid words like, you always do this or you never do that. And we say that all the time, don't we? Uh, we got to work hard not to assign motives to other people. We have a hard enough time figuring out our own motives for why we do things. We don't need to be assigning motives to others and making judgments about them based on what we think their motivation is. This is something that we, we can work on. Our staff team sat down a few weeks ago and we looked at a little behavioral agreement that we all sign when you become part of the staff team here at Hillcrest. I signed it back in June. And I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't read it all that closely when I signed it in June because uh, I've seen them before. But a few weeks ago, we sat as a staff and we looked at it again and talked about it some. And, and part of what that agreement does for us is it helps us to understand how to interact with each other when we're having a hard time, when we're in conflict, when we um, don't want to jump to conclusions. Because there are times when you have expectations of people. You have expectations of friends and family. And you say, here's what I expect of you. And then suddenly in life, they they only come up to here. Here's the reality. They don't reach the expectation. And so what are you going to put in that gap between the reality and the expectation you had for them? What are you going to put in that space I think scripture encourages us to put trust in that space instead of suspicion. To say, I'm going I'm to think the best. I'm going to trust the motives instead of being suspicious of the motives. So, I mean, just example of that. You could think about a neighbor. Maybe you and a neighbor have a, a, a line, a property line, and there's a tree right on that property line. And so they say to you, hey, don't worry about that tree. I'm going to take care of that tree. I'll, I'll make sure it's healthy. I'll weed it. I'll take care of it. I'll, I'll trim it back. And a couple years down the road, the tree's not doing well, right? It's not been taken care of. It's not been trimmed in the way that you thought it should be. Your expectation was it's going to be a healthy tree. Reality is it's not. And your neighbor said he would take care of it. What are you going to put in that gap? Are you going to be suspicious or are you going to be trustful, trusting? You're going to talk to them about it. See what's going on. Another example, you've got a friend and you meet on Tuesdays for tacos. Taco Tuesday with your friend. Uh, Tuesday afternoon, they call you and they say, I'm not feeling well. I'm sick. I I can't meet you tonight. So you're not going to get tacos. You're kind of bummed. 
So you go to the grocery store, and there across the store, you see your friend with his family getting some groceries. Okay, expectation, tacos. Reality, no tacos, right? Uh, And you see him at the store. What are you going to put in that gap? You know, are you going to be like, well, I don't think he likes me anymore. He lied to me. Or are you going to say, there must be a bigger story going on here? There's something going on in his world. Maybe he was well enough to get a few groceries for a few minutes because his family needs him, but he's not well enough to sit with me for an hour getting tacos, you know. I don't know the story, but are you going to put trust in that gap? Or are you going to put suspicion in that gap? We don't get to choose um, the reality. We, we have something to say about expectations, but a lot of times those are just there. But we get to choose what we put in the gap between the two. If we're going to trust or if we're going to be suspicious, what are you going to put in that gap? I think scripture would encourage you to put trust in that gap. To believe the best about the people that are close to you and, and to talk to them about it instead of making judgments before you even get it. You know, instead of judging first and then talking later to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk first. Let's figure this out. There's a gap here. Tell me what's going on. I trust you. I believe the best about you. But I, just help me understand why is there this gap in between? My hope is Hillcrest that we can be the kind of people that talk first and seek to express love even when we don't have all the answers. That we can live that way. And love can be a hard thing to express to people. We started this time reading that passage of love from 1 Corinthians 13, the love passage. And, and love calls out the best in us. And when we have conflict, we, it can be healthy conflict if we engage in it with loving, in a loving way. So I want to read that passage again. And I want you to think about what would happen if you took the word love out of that passage and put your name in instead. God calls us to be loving. He says, I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. We're supposed to be love. So can this passage be true about us? Here's what Paul wrote. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. So now let's look at that verse again. Take that word love out. And I want you to put your name in there. I think we're going to put up on the screen here that passage. So I just want you to read it and insert your name. I'm not going to say it out loud because I, I, I can't say all your names. All right, so read it and put your name in there. Go on to the next screen. What's God saying to you right now? That last one gets me. Nate never fails. Ooh, that is not accurate, you know. What is God saying to you right now? And your relational disconnect that you have, that person that you're thinking of, again, could be a long time ago, maybe just a few days ago. What is God saying to you about that? How can you speak into that dis- disconnect, that separation? How can you bring a different story, a-, a different resolution? Maybe it's time to ask yourself, what is it I really want in this situation? How can I ask God to provide that for me? How can I grow in my ability to trust others instead of having that natural reaction of just being suspicious? How can I keep no record of wrongs? How can I trust and hope and restore 
the relationship that is broken. I don't know the answer for you. I don't know what relationship you're thinking about. There's some maybe that need some more time apart. I mean, to be honest, there's times when we need to have boundaries and separation so we can learn to appreciate and grow back together again. But what is it that God is putting on your heart about that relationship that is broken or separated? What can you do to restore, to forgive, to love in the ways that we're called to love? We can't do this on our own. We need God's strength. We need the Spirit of God to change our hearts and our minds. And so let's ask Him to do that. Will you pray with me right now? And we're going to invite Him to speak into that relationship. Father God, I'm so thankful that you love us. I'm so thankful that you want the best for us. And Lord, you you know the relationship that we're thinking about. You know the person whose face we see right now. You know their name that we're looking at. And Lord, we want to see a different thing happening in that relationship. I pray that you would transform us, that you would change us and change our hearts, that we would understand your love for every person on this planet and your call over us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, to to treat others with grace and mercy and kindness and hope and patience and goodness and gentleness that we would grow in these things, Father. And it just shows up so clearly when we get into conflicts, when we get into fights with others. So we pray, Father, that you would change us and grow us up and allow us to grow in our ability to love others. Give us wisdom, Father, of when it's time to talk again, when it's time to move away, when it's time to wait, when it's time to approach. Lord, give us wisdom and strength and guide us. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that in our relationship with you, Lord, that we are the ones that broke it. And yet you have extended grace to us and forgiveness and brought us back into relationship with you. We don't deserve it, but it's your mercy and it's your grace and we are thankful. And it's because of Jesus and what he did for us. We pray all this in his name that you might be at work in our relationships. Thank you, Father. Amen.